questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and we're rounding the final turn in this fantastic five-part series of discussions between Michael and Restoring the Soul's resident expert on the Enneagram, Kelly Gray. Now, the goal of these podcasts is to show how understanding the Enneagram can strengthen your marriage or intimate relationship. Now, this episode, uh, Michael and Kelly will discuss how couples can embrace their differences, even to the point of blessing each other, in order to grow closer together and develop greater empathy and humility. And that by studying the Enneagram, it can help couples put more language to deep drives, uh, desires, and needs that develop in their relationship. It's another fascinating conversation that I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, Be sure to download our previous episodes and also subscribe to the podcast so you'll always receive the latest conversations, which normally release on Thursday mornings in the U.S., So thanks again for taking part in this series of podcasts, whose goal is to open up brand new pathways for intimacy and connectedness. And now here's your host, Michael John Cusick. So thank you, Brian Beatty, our producer and engineer. It is Michael, and welcome to another episode of Restoring the Soul. I'm here with Kelly Gray in the studio, continuing our series on the Enneagram and Marriage. And we hope that so far this has been helpful to you, whether you are just in an intimate relationship or whether you are married. This is episode number four, and today we're going to be talking about how knowing the Enneagram will help you to celebrate and bless the differences in marriage. So Kelly, what do you have to say about this in your Enneagram wisdom? So with this one, I was really kind of thinking on the question about or just on the, the really normal issue of all of us dreaming about or kind of fantasizing about what would it be like if um, if my partner had the exact same strengths that I have um, with all these marriages that I work with. I'll just so often hear somebody say, if, if he was just as meticulous as I am, we wouldn't have these problems. If she were as creative as I am, we wouldn't have these problems. And so this wishing that our spouse was different from what they are and just how that can lead to more of those um, those kind of low level. And, you know, I was talking about that. I used that term last time. Another word I've had for that is just petty, kind of when we get stuck in petty fights or kind of ego-y kind of fights. Um, I feel like if we could deal with that issue of our just the ways that we are different and our spouse is just different from us, it could keep us out of some more of those kind of crummy little fights and one of the first places that my mind goes to is how in friendships we tend to gravitate toward people that are like us that Mm -hmm. share not just our our beliefs but our ways of being even our interests and not all friends you know probably have the same enneagram number or personality type but Mm -hmm. marriage is not always like that and oftentimes there's almost the opposite person that we're attracted to. So this idea of uh, celebrating or blessing differences, I think, is really important to look at. 
Yeah, isn't that funny that um, so often in marriage the whole opposites attract thing is what is what comes up, and so we're drawn to somebody who has some traits that we think, oh my gosh, I need that so badly in my life. Let's, I just let's okay, I feel awesome about you. Let's get married. And then as time goes on, you start to hate some of those very traits that drew you to that person. Nobody is sitting around trying to invent a dating app where you can program in information that this person's characteristics are exactly opposite of mine, and all of their traits push my buttons and make me feel bad about myself and them. Nobody is inventing that app because nobody likes, at least at least initially, Uh, the way that differences have the potential to push our buttons. But you are here to talk about how differences can actually be a blessing and can be celebrated. Uh, And I think that as you're talking about this, there are uh, things that are just beyond the obvious, you know, like, well, he's good at changing the oil or fixing a carburetor, and I'm good at baking a casserole. (laughs) Um, Yeah, totally. Um, and then there's a, this thing that Christians do in marriage, not that all of our listeners are Christians, but a lot of them are, um, where they might be feeling these negative feelings about their spouse and they'll think, okay, I'm being bad. I'm not supposed to feel those feelings. Um, I'm going to stuff those down and I'm going to try to just, you know, be positive about our differences. And so um, the, the, fun therapy work that I would love to do um, and that what I have done with myself, what I do with other people is to just help them turn and face those differences and um, like, let's name them. Say, I'm, I am quieter than you are. You are um, more extroverted, more loud. You like more activity than I do. Um, So if that's the difference that a couple has, Um, instead of just trying so hard to put up with it, to turn and face it and name it. And I'd say, you know, maybe name it with your spouse, but more often I'd say name it with a safe person um, that loves you, loves your spouse, Um, or a good good shrink, a good therapist could be great to chat with about that, talk to you about that. But um, it's more about, um, it's naming what you don't like so that you can grieve it. That really helps usher in... um, the grieving process, which grieving is um, something that we should totally do another podcast on a different, a whole different time. But grieving is basically saying something has happened that I did not want to have happened and I cannot change this or fix this. And, um, and you can really kind of get stuck in that place of saying, Oh, I'm just so sad this happened. I wish that we weren't, I wish we didn't have these differences, but if you name it and own it and you um, feel your feelings around it, you, you face it, you see what you've, you're feeling in your body around it. It really, that helps you come to the far more open, creative place of acceptance of your partner. So you're not telling yourself you're bad for feeling negative feelings. You're owning them, naming them. Um, I have some dissatisfactions. I'm hurting um, in my marriage over these, these differences we have. When you can have a little bit more, when acceptance can start to come up inside of you, then you get more creative about, okay, now I can see a little bit more of what's positive in here, and it can lead you to actually being able to um, to enjoy or celebrate or even, like I mean this in the best sense, but like take advantage of the fact that your partner has these different strengths that you have, but you can get more creative after you've done a little bit of grief work around it. 
So with those differences, uh, when you say take advantage, there's a way in which you can use the marriage itself and use this other person, again, use in quotes, mm-hmm. uh, as, as a way of complementing, making up the difference, meeting needs for one another. Yeah, totally. I have Absolutely. a question. Um, you talked about naming it, mm-hmm. and I'm a two, mm-hmm. and I think for a lot of my relationship with Julianne, uh, as a two, I tend to self-sacrifice, and I have either uh, not acknowledged or named my own differences, or I have given them up. Mm. So it sounds like for some people, there may be a, na- a need to not just name it between the two, but what are the ways that I'm different? Because people lose themselves or melt into the other, and they lose their identity. Have you seen that? Absolutely. Well, I was thinking about a couple, and I've seen lots of couples that were um, fours married married to sevens. And um, so for people who know the Enneagram, they would know that essentially that's like a very deep person marrying a very um, fun-seeking person who um, is less comfortable going to the depths. They certainly all, everyone has depths, but the seven is a little bit more famously less interested in those depths. So um, for the four to name, I'm deep and I um, love to feel really seen and I like to have really long conversations. And for the seven to name, I really like to play and I really like to focus on the all the positive and the fun parts of life. When they can name that and then say, okay, now what do we do? We we have a really deep conversation at Disney World. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, the, the solutions, I mean, so the creativity that can come from um, this work of naming and blessing the differences that you have, um, the creativity is literally endless. So I'll be serious now. What would an example of the four and the seven be like as you work with people? Um. So you mean like where they come to? Yeah, how they they navigate the difference of I want to have a deep conversation all the time and the other person wants to play, seek adventure, Mm -hmm. and to not feel a lot of deep things. What I have found with all of my fours, and I've told you that in in 2018 I looked at my caseload and I had 17 fours actively on my my caseload. So God was teaching me so much about uh, the the spirit and the the configuration of the fours. What I found with with the fours in in the couples that I was seeing – was if they just knew that they were going to have a regular invitation to share their hearts completely and that their partner wasn't going to drop the ball on that. And if it did have to get postponed, it would get rescheduled and picked up, you know, immediately that that was taken very seriously. Then that four could could relax so much easier because it's kind of like thinking you're never going to have access to the bathroom again. And so it's like, oh, my God, I got to pee so bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And I got to just get in there. I got to go. But if you know your turn is going to come at this really regular interval, you can really relax a whole lot more. Sorry, I have so many pee and poop analogies for some reason in therapy. That, really we, will, we will have to edit out most of this <laughs> for those that are averse to any kind of bathroom oh, references. But of course, it's part. it's part of incarnation. We can mm-hmm. theologically justify it. So what also popped into my head, and these are, of course, unscripted conversations, is the idea that if we see differences as a threat, there's this idea that I'm not going to get what I need Mm -hmm. because they are different. And if they Mm -hmm. would be like me, then I could get my needs met. And you're suggesting that part of the creative way of navigating this is finding a way for both people to be honored in how they are wired. 
Yeah. And so studying the Enneagram helps you put more language with what your deep, you know, what your deep drives, desires, kind of your and your your most itchy needs are going to be closer to the surface. Um, And when you study those things, it really allows you to say, okay, you get to be a seven and I get to be a four. How do we, and, and we love each other dearly. And so how do we both get our needs met? How do we both get a turn here? Instead of it just being this behind the scenes, always kind of fighting and warring and, and, you know, you got your turn last time. It's my turn now. Um, instead it's, it's making a much, much broader place for both people to get their, their needs met. I tell people, I'm like, what's the hurry? We're always hurrying things up so much. And when our fight or flight, when the limbic system gets involved and we're in that fight or flight place, we think I have to get all these words out right now and I have to be understood right this second. Um, but we, we don't have to listen to that, that urgency. You can take a deep breath and slow it down and say there's room for both of us to show up here. So how have you seen as people press into this idea of uh, blessing and celebrating differences uh, what does this require of people in terms of change and owning their own junk? Yeah, um, a lot. <laughs> so the path of as the path of humility and the path of growth and that path of of saying, you know, always I'm I'm always going to be learning. I'm never going to have this thing totally in the bag. If I'm married to um, this infinitely intricately complex human being um i'm gonna have to remain i'm gonna have to keep a posture of curiosity asking questions and then checking back in with one another like we talked about i think it was our second recording but we don't get to give out our own grades on how well we're doing um in being an expert um on our spouse give me a couple other examples of how you've seen couples with different numbers be able to celebrate that difference? It's going to look a lot of different ways, but there's going to be a heart behind it that has been able to... So going on a journey of of really learning to accept your, your spouse as they are, your partner as they are, um, you're going to have this attitude towards them of that's how they are that's how she, that's her way that's his way that's how they that's how they do things um so there's going to be this this acceptance um around um so like sevens are just kind of on my mind today but i mean so i'll know couples where the adventure seeking seven has married a five and they've just learned that he is going to need to go four-wheeling in his jeep in on on the weekends and when she needs a weekend alone they plan ahead for it and she goes and she has a weekend literally in a hotel by herself this is a real couple um but then there will be other needs for kind of downtime with family and he definitely provides that he steps up to do that for her um and then she in turn says okay go to the mountains and i think he had to do some grieving around um her not necessarily wanting to be an adventure buddy it's not her favorite thing to bounce in uh, in a four-wheel drive vehicle for three hours on a saturday afternoon she's going to be reading and taking a nap and um learning to accept each other um well learning to grieve okay i did not marry myself here we're a seven and a five um 
and kind of walk through some of those initial feelings, not stuff them down or suppress them, which I'm sure they did try that and it just didn't work. And so um, moving towards the acceptance of it all, they um, have created a system that works where they can be happy for each other and then meet back up at the end of it and share how they were enriched by those. You're really talking about differentiation and individuation of of Mm. having a solid self apart from your spouse. And my experience has been in a lot of Christian marriages that that really have a, a, a fear of being separate, that you're encouraging this separateness, not as go find yourself, mm-hmm. but go be yourself. Mm-hmm. And when there's a separateness, then you can come back together in a way where the oneness can actually be more profound. Total, I love that point because God did make us, he didn't make us Siamese twins. And even Siamese twins have separate souls and will have different preferences and desires. Christian marriages in particular can have, and since that's been the main population that I've worked with over my years, they definitely can have their own little subset of pet fears. And that's totally one of them. If we're not exactly alike and if we're not exactly on the same page, then, oh, no, our oneness is being threatened and our marriage is in trouble. Um, Whereas I have counseled couples to have separate bank accounts not if there is you know betrayal trauma there or anything like that but but if one is just really meticulous with spending and the other one is feeling um choked out by that i mean they have each other's passwords but if they need to feel like they have more if one needs more autonomy and one needs more control like don't take on the anxiety of mm -hmm. the other person's impulsive Mm -hmm. spending just manage your own money Right. And, um, you know, have a higher level conversation with the more impulsive spender. Here's what you got. And when you go through it, it's gone. You know, I mean, so there are limits here. But I've just had couples say, oh, my gosh, if we were to try to do something separate with our finances, would that hurt our intimacy? And I say, how's that working for your intimacy currently? You know, let's let's be let's be creative. Let's try different. Let's try different things. And so to help people think outside of the box about really letting people be these separate individuals that they are and just seeing how much more connected you can be when you have named and blessed those differences. We will have to come back and do a a whole episode on that. It makes me think of uh, the Trinity, where you have the historical definition Mm -hmm. of the Godhead, Mm -hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three separate persons and one substance, and that you can't have oneness or unity without separateness. Otherwise, it's like scrambled eggs. Yeah, totally. That's a wonderful example. Kelly, thank you for offering your wisdom on this idea of how the Enneagram can help couples uh, bless and celebrate their differences. We will be back for another episode, our fifth and final episode of the Enneagram and Marriage. Thanks for listening today. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.
You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. 